many people are here for the first time? Okay, thank you. And for how many people is this, in effect, the beginning of learning meditation of any form? Anyone who's really new to meditation in any Okay. So we have three days to work together. Three days during which a variety of emotions and physical conditions will surface. Those of you who are new here, guaranteed that this will happen to you. Others know it already. And this evening, what I'd like to do is uh, preliminary instructions on the sitting practice. Uh, we'll get to the, another formal practice, walking meditation, uh, tomorrow, first sitting after breakfast. But before getting to the uh, formal sitting practice, some guidelines, and then we'll actually sit tonight. Some general remarks, uh, kind of an attitude that can help us all as we practice together for these three days. My own feeling is that attitude is, the right attitude is far more important than the particularities of any technique. And in going through some of the sheets, I see that many of you have done lots of retreats before and no doubt have worked with a variety of forms of Vipassana or Zen or related techniques. And I'll be suggesting one way to work. Probably be good for you to, to try to work that way um, so that we're all working together and the comments are relevant. But more important than the particularities are some attitudes. The main one, as far as I'm concerned, is seeing meditation more as a way of life, as a way of living, than a technique. No matter how helpful a technique is, no matter how beautiful the setting of IMS is and how helpful it is for us to calm down and to get to know ourselves, to see the way things are, feel that it's very helpful for us to see that every moment that we're alive is a perfect moment to practice wherever we are. And we can practice that here so that when you leave, as we all will, what sometimes appears to be a gap as large as Grand Canyon between being here and wherever you go to next either won't exist at all or will be really quite bridgeable. With this attitude, every small action of the day is given respect, infinite respect. And nothing is really more important than anything else, even though we'll be spending a lot of time in this hall. And the fact that the Buddha is in a certain posture, this form behind me clearly points at some of the artwork around the center, other Buddhas, that the sitting posture is an extraordinary help in coming to know ourselves and learning how to live. 
And yet, we spend much of our life, even here, not in this posture. We'll be doing all ordinary things that people do everywhere. Washing, dressing, toilet, sleep, eating. We'll all have a job. We'll be going to and fro from here to there, and then from there to here. And what I'll be attempting to do is to help even out the postures, what some of the ancients called evening out the postures, meaning the four main postures of sitting, standing, walking, and lying down are what comprise our day. And for one person, perhaps for many of us, or even most of us, the sitting will really become featured. And then perhaps the walking, sometimes it's the other way around for a few people. But often there's a dramatic dropping off in the quality of attention when we get to these small actions that comprise our day. And so one thing that we can use this retreat to do, in addition to deepening our sitting practice, as we would do in any retreat here with any teacher, with any teaching, with any set of techniques, is to see if we can't maintain that undividedness of of attention, beginning to see preferences, areas where we're really not quite as alert, areas which we, or activities which we value, areas which we don't value. And so it's not that I have an unrealistic assumption that all of us will just wake up in the morning and then be attentive 100% of the time until, until checkout time on Monday, but rather that we uh, begin each day with that intention, with that intention of bringing great care, interest, a lively interest, sometimes a, an exploratory interest in what's happening, in doing each thing in its turn, carefully. And that includes the sitting. It's not that the sitting is less important. When we sit, totally giving our best effort and our best energy to the sitting practice. But when we begin to raise ourselves up from the cushion, uh, being as alert as possible and bringing attentiveness into the movement from wherever we go to next. Uh, We'll have walking meditation instructions tomorrow and what I'll encourage you to do is to remain attentive at whatever speed you decide to walk at. Some of you may want to do a lot of just walking at a natural pace and you'll be welcome to do that. Some of you will prefer to walk very, very slowly and you're welcome to do that. One of the things I'll be, uh, I hope I can do is to uh, at least begin to cut through some of the conditioning. This doesn't apply to people who've never been here. Some of the conditioning that accompanies all the variety of teachings that appear here. And so, even within the last few months, there have been teachers here who emphasize the slow walking, which of course can be quite wonderful. Those of you who have done it know its power and its beauty. And there is also a teacher who came here and emphasized natural walking, the entire retreat. And if we're not careful, we tend to sanctify one or the other, as if slowness is holy and speed is somehow worldly and gross. But slowness is just slow and fast is just fast. And so what will be emphasized is not so much the speed with which we do things, but 
maintaining the kind of alertness that we can maintain at whatever speed we elect to move at. One uh, long retreat that I did some years ago was a, a number of months. This may sound silly, but it was necessary and it turned out to be very helpful. I practiced just being normal. <laughs> that is, uh, this is a, a protected environment compared to, probably, to, compared to where most of us uh, live out our days. And it's a simplified, protected environment. And so what I said for myself was just to walk at a normal pace at all times, to eat normally, to dress normally, and so forth, and to try to really stay alert in doing all those things. Now, if you slow down very much, that can help it, and so you're welcome to do that. In fact, it could be a a great help, particularly if you're new. In any case, it's useful. But it also turns out that if you practice just working at a normal speed, developing the kind of alertness that can be developed uh, in just living the way you would, even when you're not here, the carryover of that quality of attention that can be developed moves right into daily life when you leave here. There is no gap. It's the same thing. Only we've had a somewhat more protected environment to help us uh, remember to do it. And then it becomes much easier to do it when you go home. And there'll be some suggestions as to when, let's say, uh, rapid walking might be more helpful or when uh, slow walking might be more useful. Uh, Hopefully, and gradually, you all developing a kind of self-reliance where you more and more begin to know what you need. Whether it's walking or sitting or what speed. Come to know what your own needs are, how much sleep you need, how much to eat, how little, how much water. That's part of self-knowledge as well. The core of this teaching is is the development of wisdom, the unfolding of wisdom. But there's a lot of kinds of know-how, kind of ordinary wisdom too, that actually makes the practice easier, facilitates it. Beginning to understand what to eat and how to eat, how to care for the body, in terms of interpersonal relationships, as you may have gathered if you're new here with uh, eye contact being discouraged, in one sense, relationships are limited here. And you won't be talking to each other, by and large, unless your job calls for it. But even then, not too often. But despite this, you'll find out that the mind has a mind of its own. And even if you keep your eyes riveted to the carpet and to the floor, and to the grass, the mind starts to respond to the fact that someone has socks that are two different colors. And, oh, they're just trying to stick out and be conspicuous. And and it worked. I noticed them. Or the kinds of Birkenstocks with ribbons on it to identify, oh, that person's very worried about getting their Birkenstocks taken away by mistake. (laughs) And before you know it, from time to time, we catch a glimpse of a little higher than the feet. (laughs) It has a way of seeping in, even though we pass a law and say, don't do it. And if we understand that when that happens, I'm not encouraging it to happen, but being human, it tends to happen, that those moments are valuable, in fact, invaluable, because we begin to see 
um, ourselves. We learn about ourselves as we react to people and situations. And it's in those moments, and I hope we can go into that in a little bit more detail, that wisdom can be developed in action. The beauty of, of wisdom is that it can be developed anywhere. It can be dis- uncovered anywhere. Wherever we go, it's possible to wise up. The reason that's so is that we seem, all of us humans, have a way of being foolish anywhere. There's no particular place to behave foolishly. And if we can behave foolishly, and if we can begin to see that, well, that's the ground out of which wisdom comes. The wisdom, in a sense, is sort of tucked inside the foolishness. Just waiting, starved there, just hungering to be noticed. This is the correct way to live. Please see me. Perhaps the most important form or teaching that we'll be going over many times in even just three days is the universe's tireless teaching of impermanence. 24 hours a day, everything around us and us ourselves, that which is known as us, is teaching this over and over and again over again. Impermanence, everything that arises, passes away. If something appears, it must disappear. If something comes up, it must vanish. Must. Beginning to see that in all the varied circumstances of the retreat and beginning to see the profound value of seeing that. And then there are other kinds of wisdom uh, that come to one, some of them having to do with us as people, our personalities, our particular ways of living, using our body. And so if there's alertness to our reactions wherever we find ourselves during the day, the retreat can be quite alive wherever you are. Whether your job is mopping the floor or just passing someone in the hall, And my job, and I have found from experience it's a very difficult one, is to try to maintain the delicate balance between the sitting practice, or let's say the formal practices of sitting and walking, which somehow are official in their being meditative. It looks meditative. You know, you walk slow and you have a nice, peaceful look on your face. So when we come in this hall, it even has a special name, meditation hall. That has a way of alerting us and motivating us and for attention to drop off in the other activities. And perhaps we can uh, increasingly even things out, begin to, to see it as a way of living, more and more as a way of living. And that the, the main virtue of the techniques is to help us do that. Okay. Uh, part of the... This is a an intentional environment. It's not one I invented. Various forms of it have existed for centuries. And we're all now trying to experiment and keep what works and let go of things that perhaps were useful in Asia but not useful here. There are a number of things that are quite obviously universal and one of them is silence. So in intentionally organizing this environment to be an environment 
to help us contemplate the way things are. One of the main conditions that compose this environment is our agreement to remain in silence. This outer silence. Now, outer silence, even outer silence, is becoming more and more scarce in the modern world. Even if you travel to Asia and places that are, have been famous for retreats, I had friends who came back from the Himalayas just recently. You know, there are tanks and army trucks and airplanes zooming overhead. Probably they're going to be building condos there soon, I don't know. But there's a lot of action going on, a lot of progress all over the place. And so having a setting like this, and there are others in various parts of the world, it's very, very, not only scarce, but fragile. And it depends upon our agreeing to protect it. So please try to maintain the silence for the three days that you're here. And this especially um, holds true for those of you who have come up with someone, with a, with a friend or a husband or a wife or a lover. The temptation, especially if you're new, will be great to share what's going on in the retreat, how much you hate it or how much you love it. One minute you're ready to sign on or get your visa to go to Burma because you had a good sitting. The next minute you can't wait to get a bus to Worcester to get out of here. Keep it to yourself. Work with it. Let, rather than talking to the person that you came with about whatever your extreme reaction is, watch the mind that wants to talk. Listen to that mind because you can always talk to your friend or a new friend or a potential new friend, a person that may be near you. So please protect that. And I say that because it's so fragile. It doesn't take much, just a few people becoming very casual about the silence and much of it will fall away. It spreads. Also, I would suggest very strongly not to read. There's some juicy titles in the library. I've been working for a number of years to get the library moved because I feel it's a kind of entrapment. You know, we keep telling you to be silent and then we have the nature of life and death, you know, and <laughs> liberation, total and utter liberation. Uh, and you go into this room and uh, it's just, it's not fair. So use those books to teach you about how greedy you can become about the printed word or how you can use the printed word to escape from yourself or how you can use the printed word when you get restless. You know, and perhaps you have a history of being able to snuggle up with a book and that solves a lot of problems. For the three days, don't do that. If you can help it, don't make any telephone calls. Don't fill up any notebooks with insights. If there are any that are worthwhile, pick them up Monday night. They'll be there waiting for you. Let them go. They're anyway, they're worthless. I mean, they're useful, they're useful in the moment that they arise. But after that, it's just ancient. You know, it's just like any other, the fossils, George Washington, all the stuff that's come before us. Okay, if you hear what I'm saying, we're taking away a lot from you. We're creating an utterly simple environment where basically your job, full-time job, 
is to get to know yourself, to be with yourself in the various conditions that you find yourself from moment to moment. You have a few other requirements. You'll have a outer job, perhaps sweeping or chopping vegetables, but it won't be very long. And there'll be a couple of discussion groups which are optional. I would suggest the really new people come at least to the first one tomorrow. And those of you who have been here for a while, use your judgment. If you feel a discussion group would be helpful, then come to it. But if you feel that it would not, then by all means don't. Then, then walk instead or sit. Okay, now, all of these conditions which take away our supports force us back on ourselves. Things will be thrown up. And it can accelerate the learning process for us to see the way things are for us. Now, the fact that we create conditions to uh, protect and enhance outer silence is just outer silence. It doesn't mean that your mind is going to be quiet. So don't be disappointed if you find that as, you, as the outer silence becomes more and more appreciated, you may even find that you, you become more noisy inside. That's all right. That's fine. The outer silence is an early stage of helping to develop inner silence. And as the practice develops to some degree in depth, the silence is less and less dependent on conditions. It's less of a kind of a hothouse quality. We can only be composed or at peace or feel some stability if we're in the right situation, mainly one or another meditation centers. That's a rather limited way to live, particularly if much of your life is spent outside of meditation centers. So we're beginning that journey and using all the aids that we can get, which IMS provides. And that only helps us get on with the inner work. So please cooperate, if you can, try to to help maintain and practice, protect rather, this silence. More for the people who are really new, although I, I think all of us, I think we need to remind ourselves of this time and time again. I know we do. Vipassana meditation is not so much uh, oriented towards specific states, specific meditation experiences. If you continue with this practice, you will have a wide variety of meditation experiences. Some, in quotes, very far out, some very ordinary. An essential quality is not so much any of these attainments, specific mental states that come about, mind moments that occur while we sit or walk or whatever, but the way in which we relate to whatever turns up. And so that's again an attitude. The attitude is one of establishing friendliness and openness, learning how to peacefully coexist with whatever life provides us with. It's not fatalistic or passive. The beginning point is to know what's actually happening right now. And sometimes that leads and activates intelligence or wisdom to change actions. So it's not just doing nothing. But a lot of it on the retreat will be to see the wide variety of mental states 
that arise and pass away. Incredible periods of perhaps bliss and joy and contentment, happiness for being here. And then tremendous laziness or boredom or restlessness. Personal problems that you may have brought with you. It'd be nice if we could just leave it in the parking lot with the car, but it doesn't work that way. Sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. And that's the whole point. We're trying to learn to develop a mind that can land on its feet, no matter where it's thrown, like a cat. And no matter what pops up in the body and in the mind, can we remember to relate to it with openness and sensitivity? And that's a... uh, Tremendously important art to learn, and it's crucial in Vipassana meditation. Often meaning getting comfortable with discomfort. Seeing that, let's say you're, you're sitting and are not moving, so that if the body doesn't move, perhaps that helps the mind not move, and there's a lot of discomfort. Learning how perhaps to be with that discomfort a little bit more than when we came here. So we don't get hysterical or incredibly reactive and have at any need, at any cost, to get comfortable again. To begin to see that some of the emotional states that we dread are not all that terrible, particularly if we can see what dreading is about. And so it's more, the emphasis is more not getting high or getting peaceful, although that may come and that's wonderful when it does but learning how to relate to whatever is there, whatever. And the reason we relate to it, very simple, so simple that it passes us by a lot. The reason we relate to it is because it's there. That's all. You don't need any big theories. The Buddha said, or Jung said, or Freud said, you don't need it. We're relating to it because it happens to be there. And independent of any theories, the fact is, this is what your life is at that moment. Whatever it is we're encountering, that's our life at that moment. Okay, so that's a kind of a context. Paying attention to everything that we do here. Perhaps tomorrow, I'm not sure, tomorrow or or Sunday, uh, talking about the small kinds of sufferings that come up during the day and also the very small kinds of liberation that are possible. All with this simple awareness practice. So just living out our life at IMS now for three days and doing whatever we do, moving from one activity to the next, it's very helpful if you can let the schedule be your teacher. Schedule will be a great teacher if you let it because you won't always feel like sitting. And if every time you don't feel like sitting, you don't, well, I don't know how valuable that is. To put it positively, it's invaluable to get to know the mind that doesn't want to sit. And if you avoid sitting every time you feel that you don't want to sit, you never get to know the mind that doesn't want to sit. And so then it becomes this incessant, mad race for comfort. I don't want to walk now, I'll have a cup of tea. I don't want to have a cup of tea now, I'll take a... Whatever it is. And it's the same as what we do a lot outside of here. So keep it simple. If you can, stick to the schedule. And I know there are times not to. If you're in doubt, please check with me or bring it up in the discussion groups. 
Some of you have been practicing for quite a while. It's very different if somebody's been practicing for 10 or 15 years and uh, decides that they want to sit for three hours. And in that sense, is not following the schedule or to walk for three hours. It's very different than, let's say, if we've been not been practicing for very long. And a lot of times what we're doing is just avoiding things. So by and large, I would encourage us to allow the schedule to do a lot of teaching. Now, since the practice of Vipassana is not only sitting, formal sitting or formal walking, but it's carried out wherever we are, those of you who are new here, you can begin your meditation career right now by seeing how it is for you. We haven't even had the formal meditation instructions. Perhaps there's some anxiety. It's a new experience for you. Some of you are totally new to meditation. And you may feel, well, I'm taking on a great deal. Three days, my goodness. And he's telling us to to be quiet for three days. I've never been quiet intentionally for three minutes. And perhaps you feel a bit of anxiety right now. Or you look around, there's so many people, and I don't know any of them. If your attentiveness is very firmly but gently placed on the anxiety, you've begun to meditate. Just begin to hear yourself. Begin to hear, perhaps you didn't like some things that were said, or you liked some things that were said. Feelings of great confidence or self-doubt. I won't be a good meditator. I'm doing it because, oh well, my brother gave it to me as a present and I'll please him, but I know I don't like this stuff. I can already tell. It's okay. If you're willing to hear the mind saying that, you've already begun to meditate. And so really start now. Hear your body at this moment. Perhaps you're not sitting in the good posture for yourself, but you're not correcting it either. Well, check it out. Maybe you can. Now, I will periodically come around and uh, try to help you sit in a, a straight and gradually comfortable position. Gradually, because it, uh, for most of us, takes years to really establish a very steady and comfortable posture. But we'll, we'll begin, for those of you who are really new, we'll begin over this weekend. See if I've left anything out that would be particularly useful. I'm sure I have. Perhaps it's enough to get us going, to launch us. And what I would suggest now is you all please stand up or move in some way. Take a few minutes, just a minute or two to stretch and, because we'll begin to sit and I'll give the first meditation instructions and you've already been sitting for 45 minutes. Any of you already know what to do? You have your own version of the practice that's satisfactory and that's good? Whatever version of it, whatever your practice may be, it all has to include mindfulness. It has to include letting go. And anything that helps us get on with that is good, it's useful.
bring the body into a, an upright position. Bring the head, the neck, and the back into one straight line. Allow the head to rest very lightly on the neck, as if it were a balloon, allowing it to have a, perhaps a natural tendency to float upwards. But you don't do it, don't float it, just let it rest lightly on the neck. Often there is a lot of contraction there. If you like, close your eyes. Some of you prefer to sit with your eyes open or somewhat open, that's fine. Otherwise, please close your eyes. Those of you who are new, try that and see how it is. And before we even begin to look at the breath, or I suggest some hints at at looking at the breath, what are we beginning with? What mood are we in? A mood that might be a filter, coloring, whatever we do. Is there energy or tiredness? Was it a long journey to get here and perhaps tiredness? Acknowledging it, looking at the tiredness, feeling it. And scanning the body. Areas that for many of us can be a problem are the eyes. Sometimes the eyes are rather hard because we're thinking a lot or we're very determined. We really want to practice for three days and the eyes are all hardened up. Often all it takes is a second, two seconds, of very gentle mindfulness in the eyes and the eyes soften, relax. Perhaps the jaw is also ready for action. Go inside the roof of the mouth. Just a, a second or two, that tension there can relax the whole area of the mouth and the jaw. Sometimes the whole face comes along with that. The area of the shoulders and the area underneath the shoulders. Just letting the body sit in as erect and comfortable a position as is possible. And for each one of us, as we move through the body, perhaps seeing areas of holding on or tightness, moving into that area with some awareness, not even trying to relax it, just seeing it. And that will usually do the job and ease it up a bit. And get a sense now of the whole body sitting in whatever posture you're sitting, a full human being, a total human being in the sitting posture. The erectness helping to maintain concentration and minimize daydreaming and sleep. And begin to notice each one of us in this room, 
no matter how else we may be different, each one of us in this room is breathing. We're each one breathing in and breathing out. And for the next few minutes, don't locate your attention anywhere in particular, but simply observe the process of breathing and experience it wherever it's most vivid. Most prominent. allowing each breath to just happen. Allowing each breath to just follow its own nature. Let the breath do all the work. And we're not striving for any particular rhythm or form of the breath. Just allowing each breath to follow its own nature and to run its course. An in-breath, an out-breath. Experiencing it wherever we feel it in the body. Breath comes in and the breath goes out. And as it does so, it touches us physically. We can feel it. based on what you know of your breath. Perhaps it's possible for you at this moment to know that a breath is long or short. Perhaps you can already begin to see an in-breath as being long or short. Or an out-breath as being long or short. Perhaps based on what you already know of the breath, your own breath, you can see the breath being relatively fine or relatively coarse. Perhaps a very subtle feeling of pleasantness or unpleasantness or neither.
what I'd like to suggest now is that having watched the breath for a few moments, unless you're an experienced meditator and the object of your attention in regard to breathing is the whole breath, observing the breath wherever you find it, if that's how you practice already, good, it's fine to keep doing that. If not, please select either the nose or the abdomen. Select it as a home object or a primary object, which we'll be using throughout the three days. Perhaps by watching the breath so far, you can see that your preference would be at the abdomen or the nose. And for some of you, it may take a while. It may not be clear yet. For our purposes, it will be helpful if during the three days, we establish ourselves using this breath at a particular place, or for some of you, the whole breath, using it as an anchorage as a point of stability. And as the instructions change, using it to come to know as a point of stability, helping us to come to know the full range of mind and body. Perhaps you now know that you're drawn more to the abdomen. Fine, let that be the home object, or the nose, let that be the home object. And as we watch the breath, Perhaps you have already seen that the mind has a mind of its own. And even though it's been suggested that we attend to the breathing, perhaps the mind has decided it has better things to do, more interesting places to go. And for right now, for this evening, When you find that your attentiveness has left the breath and is somewhere else and that anywhere else doesn't matter, wherever it is, in the mind or the body or it could be sounds, etc., simply acknowledge it. Give it a few moments' attention. Know that you're no longer with breathing but that you're somewhere else. 
and just a moment or two of acknowledgement. And then ease back very gracefully without being in a hurry, without any force. Ease back to the home object, the breath where you've elected to attend to it. And once again, very carefully allowing the breath to go its own way and knowing it as it does so. A very important aspect of the instructions at this point is the coming back when the mind moves from breathing to something else. It's very common for people to take this movement away from the breath as an indication of failure, an indication of having a poorly concentrated mind, a weak mind, being unable to really practice, to follow the instructions. It might help if you understood that this is a practice without blame, that the coming back is the practice itself. Coming back is the practice itself. It's a part of it. If you didn't need to come back, if I just said, follow the breath, and you just riveted your attention there, probably you wouldn't need to be here. You would have this laser-like mind. And for goodness sakes, I don't think you'd need to hear me or anyone else. So, if you notice in the instructions, I hope I said it, I said, when the mind moves away from the breath, not if. It's all part of the practice, it's fine. Gradually this, it's lawful for all of us, helps the mind settle down, become more unified and more able, more fit to come to know itself. Why don't we practice this way for about 15 minutes? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.